I'm going to play you an audio clip from a listener who says, in essence, Dan, I now have more money, but a smaller vision. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, our business partner today is Fresh Books. You hear me talk about them often. I'm going to be telling you a little bit more about how you can take advantage of a system to make you more profitable and on top of the details. Hey, I just got back from Podcast Movement in Philadelphia. had a great time. Joanne went with me. We met a lot of our ongoing friends there. I'm more excited about podcasting today than I ever have been in my life. The opportunities are exploding, and it's just an amazing way to connect with you, the listeners. Hope you enjoy it as well. Well, we're going to be talking about some questions today. Yes, what I led with there, as well as some other things. Hey, just as a reminder, if you didn't know it, today, August 3rd, is Homemade Pie Day. You know, there's holidays for nearly anything you can think of these days, and it's fun to look them up once in a while. And it's one of the many things that's being recognized today, August 3rd. So I hope you enjoy it. Y'all reminded me of when I was growing up, my mom made a lot of pies. You know, we don't have a whole a lot of homemade pies in our house these days. Uh, the conveniences are just too easy. But I remember my mom making, I mean, eight, 10 pies at a time because we had a lot of guests with my dad being a pastor and she would make the pies. So homemade pie day. Hope you enjoy it. Well, here's some of the things we're going to be looking at. Questions. I know what I'm called to do, but I'm met with one obstacle after another. And I've been a homeschooling mom for 14 years. How do I find the work I love? I've been at my current position for over 11 and a half years, but now I have been suspended indefinitely. All right. And then the audio from young listeners says, I just got promoted, but feel like I've lost my vision. Well, here's our quotation that I hope set the stage for how we're going to look at some of this today. It comes from Washington Irving, who said, little minds are tamed and subdued by misfortune, but great minds rise above it. So the question then, the call to action for us this week is, what are you doing now that proves you have a great mind? Again, the quotation is, little minds are tamed and subdued by misfortune, but great minds rise above it. So, I hope you have a great mind. I know that you do. If you're listening, you've got ideas that help you rise above misfortune. You know, I'm always touched by the stories that I hear of people who are going through tough times. It's just an inevitable part of living. And we can't avoid those totally. And really, you know, I had a conversation yesterday about stress. Stress is not necessarily a bad thing. Stress can encourage us, motivate us, move us forward. I mean, when we talk about stress, it's a broad category of things. Certainly, you know, loss of a job, you know, divorce, losing all your money, having a failed business. I mean, those things produce stress. But you know what else produces stress? Positive things. Graduation a marriage, going on vacation, getting a promotion. You know, all those things create stress as well. So we have to determine between or distinguish between good stress and bad stress. 
But it's not a matter of trying to eliminate stress from our lives totally. I mean, I operate well when I know I have a deadline or a challenge to resolve. I mean, those things bring out new ways of thinking, cause me to, I think, grow, stretch, and be my best. Well, hey, next week, I want to tell you about what I'm going to be discussing next week. I got an email that uh, pretty much blew my mind. And as much as we talk about these issues day after day after day, I still, you know, hear from people and I'm amazed at um, their, their thinking. This comes from Nick, and I'm going to be addressing a major part of next week's podcast to this note. Now, I have just a couple snippets here that I want to help you set your thinking so you can help me think about it as I get ready to do next week. And then I'll read the note in its entirety next week. But he says, I recently started listening to your podcast and I enjoy it. And I like you, but I have a near hatred toward people who talk about enjoying their lives and their work. He goes on, work seems to be a burden for the whole lot of us, with the only driving hope being the idea of more money one day. Everyone talks about purpose and passion and serving and all that garbage, but their jobs don't do anything for anyone except take money and make money. Now, check this out. Nick says, nothing that has a purpose makes a profit, and nothing that makes a profit has purpose. If there are exceptions to that, I would like to know. To make money, you have to do something meaningless at best. Am I missing something? Oh my gosh, we could write a book about that, Nick. Well, hey, thanks for your question. I really do value it Um, and uh, acknowledge your perspective, but I think you're way off track. We'll talk about that. If you, as a listener, have some ideas on that, nothing that has purpose makes a profit. Wow, ouch. And nothing that makes a profit has a purpose. Dig deep, dig deep, drive the knife in. Well, we're going to talk about that next time, next week. So I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of let my thinking stew on that, um, not to be reactionary, but to come back and, and try to help Nick understand that this is not an impossible blend to have both purpose and passion and profits. Those do go together. Well, our business partner today is FreshBooks. You hear me talk about, it. you know, I just got a, I just got a big fat check from FreshBooks. I guess that's no secret. They are a sponsor and they pay me very well for that. But it's really interesting. You know, I shoot them a FreshBooks invoice and boom, there's the money right back. I mean, it, it reminds me how smooth and easy that system is. That's one of the biggest benefits that I've experienced is just how to send invoices to anybody. I mean, I don't have payables in my business. You know, things are paid in advance or instantly when a service is delivered. So I'm not looking over my shoulder at 30, 60, 90 days. I don't have any of that. So when I send out an invoice, it's usually handled, I mean, often within five minutes. That's pretty cool. Not like the old days where you send out an invoice in the mail, hope they got it, and then you check and they think, oh, they don't remember getting it. Well, with FreshBooks, you can see instantly when they open it, you know they got it. And once they have it, there's a real high incentive and likelihood they're going to just pay it instantly. Well, you can um, get your accountant to do a quick summary of the amount of tax you've collected last year, you know, pull together profit and loss summary. I mean, all these things can be done with fresh books. Now, I don't do all those detailed reports myself. I still have a bookkeeper that comes in and does that. 
but FreshBooks makes all the initial work really, really easy, ridiculously easy to use. And it's made for people like me who don't like dealing with numbers. So right now, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted trial to 48 Days listeners. Just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Now, I got some good news. Uh, Always good news. You know, it's so easy to find good news. I know we're bombarded with things that are not. And if you watch your local TV news, they pride themselves in finding things that are specifically bad news. Don't understand that. Well, I do. I I do. I mean, they're selling a product. They're trying to keep their advertising um, ranks full. And they know that bad news keeps people attuned to the TV. More than good news. I guess that says something about our human nature. Anyway, we're going to share good news here. I don't need to worry about um, advertisers because my advertisers enjoy the good news that we share. So Virginia, the state of Virginia, is boosting bee populations by giving free hives and equipment to beekeepers. As a means of boosting bee populations, Virginia has launched a new program that gives away beehives. Administered by the Virginia Department of Agriculture and Customer Services, they provide beehive equipment directly to eligible beekeepers. Residents of Virginia who are 18 years of age or older are eligible to receive up to three beehives units per year. Individuals who receive a beehive unit will be registered with beekeepers, allowing for periodic inspection of beehives by the agency. I think that's a pretty cool program. I mean, we know we've hear, heard a lot because of the use of pesticides. The bees have dropped dramatically in number, but yet we need them. We need them for pollination. There are people who grow fruit, have fruit trees, is, who have bees shipped in to help with the pollination a couple times a year. I have bees here in my property. I I love the idea of having bees in my property more than I... I mean, it's hard to justify the work that it takes for the honey that you get. I mean, I call it liquid gold. I mean, we love honey from our property, but it's not an efficient way to get honey. It's a lot easier to um, go to Sprouts and buy local honey. I mean, this stuff ought to cost $180 a pint. It doesn't. It's about $8 instead. And I never understood why somebody would do it and sell it. I mean, I do it because I love having bees in our property. It helps with pollination for all the flowers. I don't allow our our landscaping guys to do any spraying. Used to do that years and years ago where we didn't have any dandelions or clover and the grass was just beautiful. I don't do that anymore. We don't spray, haven't for years and years. And so we have dandelions and clover in abundance, which helps the bees and their producing of honey. So and the way that I've got to set up, incidentally, speaks to also how I do a lot of arrangements with people where I want to learn something. So here's the deal. I paid a lady $100. That's a flat fee for the season to teach me about taking care of bees. I've had other people who have had, you know, taken care of them here, but I wanted to learn more myself. So she's teaching me every time she comes out, I suit up, I put on my hood and um, coveralls and all that to protect me. Uh, Now to feed the bees, I don't do that. I go out there just in my shorts and t-shirt every day. And I I walk up and change the bottle and feed them. Yeah, I get stung once in a while. They say that's good for you. So I don't worry about it too much. But uh so what I did is pay her a hundred dollars. And when it, she comes out, every time she comes out, I suit up and then she teaches me. 
about the bees. Now she has a hive and I have a hive right here in my property. The bee produced, the honey produced rather in her hive is hers. The honey produced in mine is mine. I love that arrangement. So very minimal expense. She's teaching me. She has an opportunity to have a hive here where it produces honey for her. And I have my own hive producing honey for us. Well, anyway, I love the program that Virginia is doing to provide hives for people that want to do it. They do cost, you know, a little bit, a couple hundred dollars up front. I probably have four or five hundred dollars in um, the hives and the bees. We purchased uh, 3,000 bees initially and then a few thousand more along the way to really boost things and get them started here. And now they're reproducing very, very nicely, I might add. My hive is doing exceptionally well. Well, here's here's another good news piece that kind of ties in with this. And these are things that, that have to do with how we do things that are meaningful, how we pass on a legacy. How about this? The Grateful Dead helps to save bees and butterflies through Jerry Garcia's legacy. Now, Jerry Garcia passed away only like 25 years ago, I think. But the legacy of the lead singer of The Grateful Dead lives on in a new effort to boost wild honeybee and monarch butterfly populations. So... The remaining members of the Grateful Dead are doing a tour across America. And at each venue, fans are given a way that they can help repopulate butterflies and bees. So what they do is they pass out free milkweed seeds and garden pollinator packs to the first 300 concert goers that visit their tent at each of their venues. Now, if you aren't familiar with it, milkweed is one of the most favorite foods of butterflies and also certainly a source of pollen for the bees as well. So if, and then anyone who actually participates, plants the seeds, they can participate in an interactive art project by submitting photos of the blossoming garden. I mean, I think that's a cool thing to do. That, that, uh, that's just an admirable thing to do. Uh, Jerry Garcia's wife is founder of the foundation. She says it's a blessing to continue this work in his honor. Yeah. You know that as you, as you think about aging, I mean, a lot of us are, are thinking about legacy. You know, what is your legacy going to be? How are people going to remember you? I mean, I just did a presentation at podcast movement where I talked about the lasting legacy of your audio message. I mean, I've been impacted dramatically by audio messages from people years and years ago. Earl Nightingale, Napoleon Hill, Zig Ziglar, you know, Jim Rohn, people like that. We all remember those iconic messages like, um, well, you know, uh, I have a dream. I have a dream that one day my four little girls will live in a world where there's no racial segregation. Well, you, you recognize the words. I didn't get to do it justice in the delivery, but when you hear it, you know, instantly that's Martin Luther King. That was 57 years ago. Most of you weren't born then yet, but you recognize the lasting legacy of an audio message. So we're looking at what do you do that is going to create a legacy? How are people going to remember you 57 years from now? Well, I like what uh, the deadheads are doing there and passing out milkweed seeds to help uh, take care of bees and butterflies. Cool thing. All right, a couple more uh, good news items here that I really like. How about this one? A police officer shaves homeless man's beard in gas station parking lot so he can land a job. Now, there was a woman who had been sitting in her car 
uh, earlier this week when she saw Officer Carlson of the Tallahassee Police Department in Florida shaving a man's beard outside of a gas station. After he was finished, the homeless man left. The police officer went inside the gas station. So this lady was curious about what happened. She went inside, offered to buy the officer a drink, asked him why he was shaving a man's beard. So Carlson, the police officer, said that the homeless man had been talking to McDonald's staff members when they told him he would not be allowed to start working or even apply for a job at the restaurant until he shaved his beard. Now, the officer heard that conversation. He grabbed some clippers got a razor out of his own car, offered to help shave the man's beard right there in the parking lot. When he was finished, the homeless man went back into McDonald's and, and did, in fact, lock down the job. Now, that's just a cool human story. I mean, just taking care of each other. I mean, we, we, we love hearing these stories about uh, police officers doing these kind of things, but it's something anybody can do. If you heard that conversation, what would you have done? Would you have offered to step in and help? A simple way, I mean, cost the, cost the policeman nothing except, you know, five minutes of his time, helped the guy get through a tough spot, went in and landed a job. I mean, how, that, that's just an awesome story of humanity helping humanity. Well, one more here, then we'll go into some questions. Instead of shutting down teens hot dog stand, city officials help him get a permit and start a business. 13-year-old Joaquin Faulkner started his hot dog stand uh, last year as a means of doing something creative to fend off his depression. Additionally, he wanted to use the money to buy himself some new clothes. So with his tabletop business set up in front of his home in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the youngster started selling hot dogs, chips, and sodas to the locals, and everybody loved it. Do you know what's coming next? As his stand garnered more and more attention, however, someone complained to the city's health department for Jacqueline's lack of permit. But instead of shutting down the entrepreneurial venture, a dozen different city departments came together to help the teen get a permit and start a business. You know, I recently shared a story about Country Time, the lemonade company. They said that if kids are getting shut down for having a lemonade stand, they'd buy the permits, spend up to 300 bucks to get them a permits. I mean, I love that story of their, their generosity and amazing, bold a business branding move. I mean, that's, that's a, a pretty awesome way to get attention for your company in doing that. Well, here this, so the city officials here in Minneapolis said, when I realized what the complaint was, I said, no, we're not going to just go out and shut him down like we would an unlicensed vendor. Minneapolis Environmental Health Director Dan Huff told the TV station. We can help him get the permit. Let's make this a positive thing and help him become a business owner. So several Minneapolis health inspectors volunteered to train the youngster on food safety. They gave him a thermometer that he could use to make sure the food was above 140 degrees. They got him a hand washing stand uh, station and a tent, and they even paid for his permit fee. Not only that, a local nonprofit has been teaching Jacqueen entrepreneurial skills and helping him to establish his new business that he's now calling Mr. Faulkner's Old Fashioned Hot Dogs. Then the team of city officials went together, put together a GoFundMe campaign to help him get a mobile hot dog stand. So a real hot dog stand. 
And so the teen says he'll be donating a portion of the proceeds to mental health charities. Any additional funds will be put into his college fund. And I just checked that, you know, these GoFundMe things can really take off. So this was just last week and he already has $2,108. So $2,108 of the $5,000 goal. And, and the 13 year old says he's enjoyed making money and learning about business, but mostly just enjoys his hot dog stand as a way to make people happy. It's the cooking and the people. He said, I see someone go by with a frown on their face. I'm there with a smile. Then I see a smile on their face. I just made a smile on somebody's face by selling them a hot dog. Well, that's one of the benefits of being in business. Absolutely. Now there's a purpose, a passion and a profit. That speaks to what we're going to be unpacking the listener question for next week. Can you have a purpose, combine it with your passion and make a profit? Yes, you can. They go together like a hand in a glove. My goodness. All right, let's go to some questions here. Tom says, I'm from Texas. It says my father's had my father had three jobs in 81 years. Okay, now get the math here. Uh, just think this through. My father had three jobs in 81 years. I've had six in 71 years. My 50-year-old son-in-law has had 12 jobs and is looking for number 13. I believe this trend has far more negatives than positives. For example, no roots, few deep career friendships, no retirement savings, lack of commitment, short-term thinking, to name a few. How can our culture change this job hopping trend? Well, whether you see it as a blessing or a curse, it's not likely to change, Tom. It's not going to change. We're going to continue seeing this. You talk about your 50-year-old son-in-law has had 12 jobs looking for number 13. Here's the deal. If he's been in the workplace for 30 years, that's not a bad to have 12 jobs. That's pretty much right on track. About 2.3 years per job, man, he's right on track. But you know what we know about those who are in their 20s? The average job tenure for somebody in their 20s in America today is 13 months. So it's almost one a year. So what's that going to look like? You say your father had three jobs in 81 years. Well, if somebody lives to be 81 today, let's say that somebody lives to be 85 and they started work when they were, um, well, let's say 20, even that's 65 years of work. Now, a lot of us are going to do that, you know, have 65 years of work. If the average is a job a year, that's a whole lot of different jobs. But here's the difference. Your father having three jobs in 81 years was probably doing something involving manual labor. So if you start working at the railroad, you start laying railroad ties. And then you may learn how to connect one car to another. Or you may even ride on the cars from one town to another. If you change jobs, you're going to be using skills that are totally new. Totally new. If you go from that into an auto manufacturing plant, as an example, the skills required are totally new. You're starting over. You have to learn those again. That's the way people change jobs in previous generations. Today, that's not true. If somebody, if you have a grandson who's 22 years old 
who's really good in graphic design, he can use that one skill and go through 20 different jobs. But the skill required is the same. And as a matter of fact, he can refine that and move up dramatically with the vertical move up in his career path, even though he's changing companies every year or two. That's a really different path. So you talk about the negatives, no roots, few deep career friendships, no retirement savings, like a commitment short term thing. Well, uh, those things can be true, but there's a whole lot of positives in somebody's ability to, you know, I, I have three, three children who are using skills that are not dependent on machinery in a building. And because of that, they're totally location independent. The adventures that they can have in their daily lives because their work doesn't tie them down to one geographic location, I think is real positive. I mean, I certainly enjoy that. I experienced that. I decided many years ago to make sure that what I did would not lock me into a geographic location. So Joanna and I would have the freedom to live anywhere we wanted to. If we want to decide today to move to Puerto Rico, we could move there in a heartbeat. We just saw our friends, you know, uh, John Lee Dumas and Kate. Uh, they did that a couple years ago. They moved from San Diego to, to Puerto Rico. That uh, They went there because of the tax structure. Tax savings are pretty dramatic. Um, we could do that. A lot of people, a lot of you listening, have the freedom to do that because your work your work tools are between your own two ears. They're not in a building or fixtures on the floor of a manufacturing plant. So we're going to continue to see job hopping, but it's not necessarily a negative thing. People are able to, to move. Here's the other thing that happens, Tom. If somebody stays with one company, the anticipation is that you're going to get a three or 4% increase per year. If you're lucky. So if you're making $60,000, you know, next year you're going to make 61. Well, it probably doesn't even keep up with cost of living increase. However, if you change companies, even while doing the same kind of work, you can often have a 10% increase or a 20% increase or more in your, people get dramatic increases by going from company to company where that would never be possible in doing the same work, continuing for one company. So there's, there's a lot of advantages. It's something we aren't going to be able to turn the clock back and stop by any means. We have to just find our own advantages in the reality of what the workplace offers us today. All right, Kyle from Boise, Indiana. Boise, Indiana. I see the ID. Uh, no, that would not be Indiana, Dan. That would be Idaho. Boise, Idaho. Kyle says, greetings, Dan. I love listening to your podcast. I'm in a position where I feel like I know what I'm called to do. However, I am met with one seemingly impossible or insurmountable obstacle after another. At times, I feel that God has utterly abandoned me, even though the Bible tells me otherwise. I have ambitious goals and based on where I am now, 32 years old with significant health issues and little means to accomplish any of them. I have trouble seeing how I will accomplish even one of them. I have never really had people in my life. Now this is where I want to pay attention and respond to Kyle. I have never really had people in my life that gave me hope or encouragement. Most are either noticeably silent or say, I will not amount to anything. 
This leads me to question my own abilities and pursuits. How do you overcome this negativity in pursuit of your purpose? Well, describing that you've never been around people who gave you hope or encouragement, that, that's, a, that's a biggie. That's a red flag for sure. And you know that we talk about the old Jim Rohn quotation, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Well, if you're in a situation where you're spending a lot of time with people who aren't encouraging you, you, know, you need to put boundaries around that. And here's the cool thing. You can spend time with people who will encourage you without exception starting today. Now, here's how you do that. Here's how I did this as, as a poor farm kid. Golly, I had people saying, you know, you're, you're never going to be anything but a farmer. You owe it to your mom and dad because they paid your way for the first 18 years. Now you need to give them 18 years of service, you know, working on a farm. I mean, those were the messages that I heard in my high school class in the little town where I grew up. There were 30 of us. Only two ever left that little town. The rest of them stayed there, got local factory jobs, put in their years, retired. And they're looking, you know, golly, I don't know what they're doing. You know, looking at a, a trailer park or a nursing home at this point. That's not me. I got out of town. But here's how I started that process. Here's how I found those people to encourage me. I got a hold of the little audio recording, The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale that you hear me talk about. Changed the trajectory of my life. Then I listened to Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Read those books, listened to the audio. People like Jim Rohn, Norman Vincent Peale, all those old masters of achievement, I listened to them over and over and over, hour after hour. I listened to those. Those were the people that encouraged me, that told me I could do something great and move ahead. Now, those weren't people that I really had access to in my life at that point. Later on, I was fortunate enough to meet most of them. But, you know, at the starting point, I was simply reading books and listening to audio. You can do the same thing. You can get that positive input, the encouragement, the belief that you need to move forward. I mean, grab your, grab your phone, the podcast, man. I looked at, looked at my podcast feed here just as I was talking about this. You know, my podcast feed has in it people like Kent Julian, Live It Forward, Jamie Masters, The Eventual Millionaire, Brendan Bouchard, High Performance Habits, The Chase Jarvis Show. Ken Coleman, Entree Leadership Podcast, Pat Flynn, Smart Passive Income, Side Hustle School, Chris Gilbu. I mean, you can listen to those people today. Every waking moment that you have, a spare moment, you can be hearing those people. Those people are going to help you pull yourself up to get over what you think are insurmountable obstacles. Those obstacles are biggest in between your own two ears. You can deal with those even if circumstances are not exactly what you want. Read the books, the five little books that I recommend, you know, that I have my grandkids read before they reach 13 years old. How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie, See You at the Top, Zig Ziglar, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, The Magic of Thinking Big, David Schwartz, Acres of Diamonds, Russell Conwell. You can't fill your mind with that kind of content and stay discouraged. It won't happen. You're going to dream big dreams. You're going to see ways through those obstacles that you're seeing now. 
you're going to know that people believe in you and are calling you to your own greatness. You can do that. Again, it doesn't, this, thank goodness, doesn't matter where you live. You can be in Boise, Idaho. Doesn't matter. You can access this kind of information, surround yourself with the kind of content that you want that's going to move you forward. Well, thanks for your question. I love your question. Cynthia says, I have been a homeschooling mom for 14 years. My youngest just graduated. Now it's time to get my big girl job. But I've invested so much into my children. I have no idea where to start to find the work that I would love and would be great at. I want to find something that matters, something that makes a difference. How would you suggest going about finding work for someone who hasn't worked except as a package handler in the past 18 years from a retired 46-year-old homeschool mom? Thanks for so much for all you do. I enjoy the podcast. Well, Cynthia, thanks for your thanks for your note. Wow. Here's the deal. You have spent 14 years homeschooling your children. You cannot possibly have accomplished that without having developed and refined some really amazing, marketable, valuable skills. Look at those things. Don't look at that as a time where you didn't work or you were unemployed. No. What do companies look for? Companies look for what value do you bring to the table? What is it that you've done in the last two years? So in being a faithful mom, homeschooling your kids, what is it that you did? If you're great at extracting lessons from the historical textbooks we have, there are places that value that skill. If you coordinated homeschoolers getting together twice a week to learn from an expert in a particular area, like we did with our kids when we were homeschooling. So biology, geometry, things like that. We would get together with somebody who was really skilled or even an artist. So if you coordinated that, you may be able to position yourself in transportation logistics. I mean, we can give fancy names to some of the things that you did. If you helped in the homeschooling environment to coordinate a fundraiser or an event, those are valuable skills. So go through those things. Don't think that those 14 years had you just sitting on a shelf somewhere. Look at those very years as being the opportunity for you to refine skills that are very valuable. So yes, look for the things that you did enjoy in there. There may have been some things in there that you didn't enjoy as much, but look for the things that you really enjoyed. Things that you've done during that period of time in the community, in your church. Those are all valuable things. You make yourself a candidate for a position, not just based on things for which you've been paid, but for which things where you have a proven competency. And that can come from things that you did non-paid positions just for your own kids or in the community as a volunteer. I mean, those are all legitimate things that come together to help you in that area. Well, again, thanks for your question. That's one that um, near and dear to my heart. Uh, we are involved in the homeschooling community. We homeschooled our, our children and now seeing our grandchildren homeschooled as well. Love it. I got a, got a photo recently of a homeschooling group. There were 123 homeschoolers in Idaho, as a matter of fact. Um, and the, the teacher, the coordinator, sent me a picture of them all holding up copies of 48 Days to the Work You Love, which they used as their textbook in preparing them. I mean, I love that idea of kids at that age opening themselves up to what the reality of what the workplace is. I mean, we have a lot of kids coming out, 22 years old, coming out with college degrees that have no conception 
of what the real workplace is. And to see 12, 13, 14-year-olds who are really getting a grasp on what the workplace is, how to make themselves valuable, and how to tap into their deepest passions and talents themselves so they don't get, get misdirected by the allure of a particular college degree. I mean, I love that whole process. Well, let me move on here. Frank says, I first started listening to your podcast back in 2009 after reading your book, 48 Days. You know, that's one of the things that, you know, I'm kind of a legend in the podcasting world when I go to these conferences like Podcasting Movement because I started podcasting in 2009. Now think about that. That's nine years ago. Now that's a relatively short period of time, but in the podcasting world, man, I'm, I'm a historian. I'm, I'm one of the, the founders because it was just podcasting as it was the word of the year in 2005. Can you believe that? 2005, 13 years ago. Before that, we didn't even have the word. That's how new this whole thing is. So anyway, anyway, Frank says he started listening back in 2009. Well, that's, I'm delighted. The reason I read your book was the situation in which my boss, my father-in-law's business partner, came to my desk and tore a file shelf off my cubicle and started berating me. Without getting in details, many verbal incidents have happened over the next happened over the next several years, including being accused of cooking the inventory books. That brings me to the attached letter. I was verbally told at a meeting I was suspended indefinitely, but not surprisingly, it looks like my boss's interpretation was different, and now it's being made to look like job abandonment. I would just like your advice as to what to do next. My father-in-law will not stand up to his business partner and has turned his face to his behavior for years. I've been in my current position for 11 and a half years. Last summer, I even received a $15,000 raise. My wife is fully employed and I have a 10-year-old son. I'm 53. Thanks to you, a forward-looking, optimistic person, but want to do what's best for my family. If you need more details, please let me know. Thanks, Frank. Frank, 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 Frank. I don't need any more details. This is very simple solution. Now here, for those of you listening, let me read a little bit of the letter that Frank received. Mr. Frank, we're concerned about your absence and recent conduct. And the this first sentence, I mean, good night. I don't know who wrote this first sentence, but um, it would never pass... <laughs> pass as part of a manuscript, an editor ought to take care of this, but this is a sentence. We are concerned about your absence and recent conduct and the escalation to the very erratic behavior and conduct which has disturbed the workday for our staff and has resulted in several complaints from staff with concerns about their safety and specifically the last three days, which has included a violation of company policies as stated in, and it goes on from there. My goodness, what a sentence. Well, as stated in our short discussion, prior to you walking out and refusing to have any discussion regarding your conduct, your access to company systems were suspended and will remain suspended until you are able and willing to have a president. Anyway, here's the deal. I mean, we don't even need to go into the details, Frank. Frank, they don't want you there anymore. When you describe the years of verbal incidents and the things that are happening there, wow nobody's winning by you being there. I don't care what they're paying you and how big a raise you got. You need to get out of there. This is intolerable. You know, when we look at things, we look at things, what is it that you can control and what is it over which you don't have control? 
I mean, the cards are stacked against you. What they're doing in putting this letter together is to do officially what's required to fire you. That's all they're doing. They're just putting it on black and white, which a company typically has to do three of these. They'll do three of these in rapid succession and fire you. And then they've made their case. So you have no recourse. You can see what's coming. I mean, I, with the history you describe, I wouldn't even try to work this through. I would do a job search today, this afternoon. Now, do a job search. You have 11 and a half years there. We already talked about that's a long period of time at any company. But with the toxic culture that you describe, father-in-law is not going to stand up and try to make this. I mean, I can't imagine walking in the door in a workplace with what you describe here. This is one of those that goes back to the opening note that I read that we'll be discussing in more detail next week, where there the the listener in that particular note is convinced there's no purpose, there's no good thing being done if a profit is being made. What you describe here is the only thing you could possibly be getting out of this is a paycheck. There cannot be the sense of fulfillment, meaning, and accomplishment that comes from blending your passion, your talent, combining it with great relationships and all that. If all those things are gone and all you're getting is a paycheck, man, get out of Dodge, move on. Just see this as a clear statement that they don't want you there. And there's no reason for pushing yourself back into an acrimonious environment like that. And life is too short. You don't need that. You're purchasing inventory manager there. Wow. Hold your head high. Put your, together your resume. Get out here, contact some other companies and find an opportunity that removes all this negativity that you describe here. Don't do that. All right. Well, let me, let me grab one more here. Now this is from Ryan. Now this, I'm going to play his audio clip. His audio clip was short. A lot of times when Clips are left there too long to include. I do a short synopsis just verbally, but this one I'm going to play. Incidentally, as you know, just a reminder here, if you've got questions, these are real life questions. Um, I've been out for a couple of weeks, so I had a, a real backlog of questions in there, and I'll get to more of those as spread them out over the next few weeks as I can. Some really great questions. I so appreciate uh, you listening who are open enough to share um, transparently what's going on in your lives. Uh, there's nothing that in no way do I want to uh, belittle or demean you in situations that you are in, but I want to be constantly reminding you of the opportunities that are all around us. With unemployment at a historic low, companies are begging for people. There's a, a brand new article in the Wall Street Journal about the fact that uh, companies are removing their requirement for degrees and even relevant experience. You know, I'll put a link to that. Uh, you, you can look it up. It's The article is very recent. It's a new, no policy, no experience necessary. Their companies are dropping skill and degree requirements in order to attract a larger pool of candidates, especially in cities with the largest levels of unemployment like Dallas and Louisville. But the thing is, companies realize if you got a degree in English lit 15 years ago, I mean, what relevance does that have to what they need to have you do in today's work environment? 
mean, there are a lot of people with degrees who have, who were trained for skills that are no longer current. They're obsolete. Again, I, I love education, love the environment, love the ongoing learning, but companies are saying, yeah, do that on your own. That's fine. But tell us what it is you can do for our company. So there's a lot going on. Again, it's just this week article in the Wall Street Journal. You can find that no degrees, no experience necessary was kind of the heading heading for that. All right. So if you've got a question, shoot it to me. Just use the email askdan at 48days.com. If you have a success story you want to share, a lot of you are doing that. I appreciate that so much. You send me links. And one of the things that I, uh, that I shared as I was talking about podcasting last week at the conference is that the 48 Days listeners are incredibly generous about offering help to each other. A lot of what we do here is to link listener suggestions with previous listener challenges. I mean, I'm one guy, I can get on here and talk for three minutes about any given question, but then I'll have 10 people say, wow, here's a resource that would really help Ryan with his situation, would really help Kyle with what he talked about. I value those. So we do a lot of passing on resources, connecting people um, after the fact because of situations that we've discussed here very briefly. So again, those questions, success stories, challenges, just shoot those into askdan at 48days.com. Now, let me play this little clip from Ryan here. We'll talk about this briefly and wrap things up. Hey, Dan, I wanted to ask you a question. I am 24 years old, and after getting a master's degree in theology and being interested in ministry and even starting a doctorate, but finding that that path very seldom would lead to collegiate teaching that I would like to do, I've ended up working in the retail. And in that retail position, I was going to resign several months back and uh, begin my own side business doing odd jobs and things and continuing to try to do some speaking on the side. But I was offered a 40% raise to stay. I stayed, but I feel like I am not becoming the person that I want to be in the work environment I'm in now and doing the work uh, that I'm doing uh, just kind of without a vision right now and wondered what your thoughts would be to uh, kind of rekindle a vision when I've lost a vision for what I want to do and I'm kind of just floating through life. Well, wow. Great question to take us out. Let me just comment on that a little bit. Getting a promotion, yeah, can detract us. It can misdirect us for sure. However, you are not very clear on what that vision really is. I would encourage you to keep the job you have. Don't burn any bridges. Keep the job you have. And just work on clarifying the vision that you have for a longer term on the side. I mean, we've got a program, you know, a, a formula where if you spend 15 hours a week on something, you get dramatic traction building something on the side. We've got a lot of examples of people who have done that effectively. One of the groups in our 40 Days Eagles Nest right now is devoted to that specifically, led by Marianne Renner, who's an example of that. So don't think that you have to be living out your vision 
in everything that you do. There are a lot of people who are working jobs because they're responsible and because the job provides a decent income to take care of family needs. There's no shame in that. It's not a matter of turning everything you have as a passion into some kind of money producing thing. No. So use this as an opportunity. Take advantage of the recent raise that you were given, 40%. That's amazing. Use the time there responsibly, but continue working on what your vision is. You can get clarity on that even while you're working in a regular job. Keep the job, but keep moving the vision forward as well. Well, love the questions. Again, our challenge for the week is what are you doing now that proves you have a great mind? Little minds are tamed and subdued by misfortune. Great minds rise above it. Hey, thanks for being part of this growing community where we know we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Check back in next week. We're going to be unpacking that even more. We never forget the profits. Those go right hand in hand with purpose and passion.